if you're here, you already sense there's something out there, something magical and mysterious, just waiting for you to find. And you've probably already discovered it isn't as easy as just thinking happy thoughts. You're not alone. Generations of shamans, philosophers, seers, and scientists have pursued this eternal quest. Where their ideas come together, you'll find powerful tools to cultivate magic and self-mastery in your own life. Welcome to the Magic and Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Donna Woodwell. I'm a former journalist, an author, a master astrologer, and a hermetic initiate, and it's my honor to be your guide. In each episode, I'll meet you at the crossroads of science and spirit, reason and intuition to help you discover the wisdom that works for you. Are you ready? The adventure awaits. Welcome to the very first episode of the Magic and Mastery podcast. This is volume one, episode zero, Step Off the Garden Path. Since it's the beginning of our journey together, I thought I'd make the topic of today's episode beginnings. But be sure to stay until the end when I'll share an experiment that you can try out for yourself to see how the magic works for you. Oh, and one more thing. My podcasts are really kind of meditations on magic, and they can get a little information dense. Don't be surprised if you end up wanting to go back and listen more than once, and that every time you do, you hear something different. So to make it easier to find the bits you're looking for, make sure you check out the episode show notes found at magicandmastery.com slash podcast. Now let's get started. I admit, when I was first writing this episode, I had the Bonnie Tyler song, Holding Out for a Hero, playing on a loop in my head. In a sense, we're all holding out for a hero. Back in the early 90s, my shamanic teacher predicted that as we moved into the turbulent year she saw ahead, we'd see a dramatic increase in interest in heroes in popular culture. And over the decades, her prediction has certainly come to pass. I'm sure you've noticed there's been an explosion of comic book movies and all of the rest of the video game culture. Of course, you could argue it's just economics. For example, blockbuster movies have become so expensive, studios only want to invest in the sure thing. But what makes heroes sure things? Well, Joseph Campbell, the author of Hero with a Thousand Faces and a dozen other works on mythology, would probably argue that it's because heroes and their journeys have a near universal appeal. Everyone wants to be a hero, right? Or maybe just everyone wants to think of themselves as a hero. Or perhaps this is a moment in time when we need to believe in heroes. Now, according to Campbell, a hero is someone who's given their life to something bigger than themselves. Psychologist Philip Zimbardo expands on Campbell's definition. I'd imagine heroes are kind of a personal matter for Zimbardo. He's perhaps best known as the Stanford professor behind those infamous Stanford prison experiments. You know, the ones which explore under what circumstances will otherwise good people do very villainous things. After those experiments, he argued that evil can be fostered in everyday people in myriad ways. As examples, he cites dehumanization, diffusion of responsibility, obedience to authority, unjust systems, group pressure, moral disengagement, anonymity, and other ills of the modern era. As someone who once worked for a human rights organization myself, I can say from personal experience that 
staring too long at humanity's capacity for inhumanity does take its toll. So I understand Zimbardo's urge to launch the Heroic Imagination Project, a nonprofit dedicated to using the latest psychological research to encourage everyday acts of heroism. To paraphrase his words again, heroes make a choice to use their skills in service to others without expectation of gain and with knowing the risks involved. Knowing the risks involved. I think this is what my shamanic teacher was getting at. See, we're certainly at a point in history when the old ways are falling apart, yet the new ways have yet to be born. We're teetering at the edge of a climate catastrophe. Technology is changing so fast, we're left breathless, running to keep up. There's little time for considering the big picture or the long term. And worse, technology's dark algorithms have led to an unraveling of civil and civilized society at a point when we could use them the most. And so we're all on edge. Anxiety, depression, and suicide rates are among the highest in decades. People feel they've been left behind. They're afraid, defensive, powerless, vulnerable, and angry. Every thinking person realized something has to change. But we haven't yet figured out the how of the transformation. We are all at the edge of the unknown. And who is willing to risk the unknown? The heroes among us, of course. Now, before you despair, humans have certainly endured such moments before. We've moved from living in small bands of hunter-gatherers to ever-growing agrarian settlements. In these new urban worlds, our neighbors become strangers. We've moved from a world where everything was steeped in the rhythms of religion to a secular society where even meaning was no longer a certainty. And we've moved from a world connected only as far as a horse could travel in a day to one connected by train, then car, then plane. With each leap forward, geography has become smaller and smaller. And now we're moving from an analog world of touchable objects to a virtual digital world. Can the union of human and our creations be far behind? And as each new lifestyle is created, and as each new lifestyle is created, the old one passes away, but never without human grief for what's been lost and fear of an uncharted future. Our heroes may have had the courage to take a step into the unknown, but they're never the first. That honor goes to the tricksters. The mercurial trickster sits between the ordered world of the rational and the known and the chaos of the irrational and the unknown. For anyone following the rules, those on the outside can even seem insane. The trickster, the fool, the joker, even the stranger or the migrant or anyone else who doesn't conform to expectations is seen as a threat to society or to the church or just to the way things are meant to be. But to a trickster, one would need to be insane to actually live in the world as it is. And that's because from the outsider's point of view, it's easier to see that the way things are meant to be is a kind of prison. Because whether we want to admit it or not, we are all conditioned by the world around us. Where we live, how we grew up, from the moment we are born, our brains get to work on creating maps of our world as we know it. Sociologist Peter Berger has called this the social construction of reality. 
And we love it even more when our expectations about the world are confirmed. So much so that by the time we're an adult, we'll even ignore what doesn't fit neatly into our model of reality. It's a subtle and inescapable truth. Each one of us is complicit in our own imprisonment. Maybe the fool is willing to forego the safety of the herd, but in return, he's banished to the edges of society. Now we all know it can be a bit foolish to stand near the edge. Edges imply the danger of falling off. And a fall is certainly a risk when the ego gets too involved. You see, it's the ego's job to maintain our reality maps. And they do serve a useful function to help us navigate a complex world with minimal effort. But when the ego loves its job a little too much, it starts to believe its own maps are superior to the maps of others. It's the woke one, while others are merely sleepwalking. And in the most extreme cases, the narcissist denies any reality exists other than their own. Edges, though, also bring the potential for becoming something more. Zen Buddhist and social justice activist Joan Halifax has identified five psychological territories she calls edge states. They are altruism, empathy, integrity, respect, and engagement. Such states may help us develop strength of character, she says, but they can also cause personal and social suffering. Nevertheless, without risking the edges, how can we ever achieve the fullness of our human potential? You know, lately, I've had a chance to catch up on some of the back episodes of the sci-fi show, The Magicians. One of the earliest ones, the character Jane Chatwin tells Quentin he'll have to leave the garden path in order to find the answers he seeks. And then warns, if he does, he risks the beast finding him. Now, isn't that a decision we all have to make right now? Are you willing to walk off the garden path, even though it means you may never get back on? Do you have a choice anymore? Now, if you do decide to embark on that less traveled road, you're joining the company of heroes like Alice in Wonderland or Neo in the Matrix. But don't expect the world to make it easy for you. Remember, there are many who have an interest in maintaining the status quo in ways large and small. Consider the small ways. Our digital world is now filled with categories. Check this box or that one. There is no other option. The challenge with such categories is that someone else is trying to define your reality bubble for you. For example, it was hard to choose one category for this podcast. It landed in society and culture, but it could have been spirituality, religion, philosophy, history, education, or even self-help. Magic and mastery weren't exactly options. Some would say it's just a little thing. It matters, though, because it changes who's going to stumble across the podcast, who will see it, and who will not. And this is just a little thing, at least in comparison with all the other myriad boxes we're asked to check as the world seeks the security of identity and definition. But these boxy edges also lead to exclusion and to control. Even in today's pop astrology, which many would categorize as on the fringe itself, people will try to define you. They'll say things like, oh, you're a blank, so you must be a blank. For example, oh, you're a Leo, so you must be vain. Or, oh, you're a Taurus, you must be stubborn. 
The illusions of these cosmically assigned identities may give folks a sense of purpose, but are such platitudes really more than shallow stereotypes? You are not the limitations someone assigns to you, nor are you those limitations you assign to yourself. I know this all too well from my own experience. You see, by today's standards, I'm something of an impossible girl. I could claim the title genius. I'm certainly a polymath in the literal sense. I won all the school awards. I was a National Merit Scholar and a member of Mensa. I took home all the swimming medals and set the school archery record. I also had art hanging in the White House. But I'm also a psychic and an intuitive. I've been graced with magical teachers twice over, one a shaman, the other a hermetic master. For many, that's the definition of cognitive dissonance. That's because they will always tell you you have to pick an identity so you can fit neatly into their mental map. In my case, the message was, you can be smart or you can be psychic, but you can't be both. And yet every time I've rejected that message, my life has gotten way more interesting. You see, when you're willing to reject the constructions of others, and when you're willing to reject your own constructions, you're on your way to learning how to change those mental maps that generate your sense of reality. Magic and self-mastery are both about learning how you can shape your own reality bubble. In ancient times, when we became philosophers, we sought to understand the difference between what we can control and what we cannot. But to the true magician, every person is a star. What does that mean? Well, the astrological glyph for our star, the sun, is a circle with a dot in the center, or a dot with edges. To the Greek philosopher Iamblichus, the shape of the divine is also a circle has no beginning and no end. In his work, Paradise Lost, John Milton describes this centered circle as the work of God as geometer. Here's a beautiful quote. And in his hand, he took the golden compasses prepared in God's eternal store to circumscribe this universe and all created things. One foot he centered and the other turned round through the vast profundity obscure. This process of creation, then, is to find one's center and define one's edges. For a person driven by what others think, the center is always pulled outside of themselves. In despair and resignation, they believe they are powerless to shape their own reality. It's for them the social learning theorist Julian Rotter coined the term external locus of control. But to one who has an internal locus in control. That one sits at the center of their own reality. They know themselves as the balance point between their creative and their destructive tendencies. They own it all. And thus, they take the shape of the centered circle. They become like the divine. And so the way forward is clear to those who see. To be illuminated as the sun is to become consciously aware of what we are doing on all levels. And now let's return to the heroes and the tricksters. The first and the last card in the tarot deck is the fool. He's depicted as a nomad, a migrant, an outcast. 
The fool is numbered zero, an allusion to his tabula rasa, his blank slate. A zero is also a circle without a center. Divine potential not yet consciously realized. And yet the fool instinctively knows the way forward. He's cast off all he owns save what he needs. But what were his possessions? Perhaps the trappings of what economists have called the curse of knowledge. The expectations that paradoxically serve us and yet prevent us from seeing other possibilities right in front of us. As long as we cling to our beliefs of what should be, we're forever confined to the garden path. But the fool, he's emptied his cup so that he can live in the moment without judgment. He understands the way forward is the beginner's mind. The Zen Buddhist Shunryu Suzuki explores the power of the beginner's mind. Shoshin, as it's called in his book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. To Suzuki, for those who cultivate Shoshin, there are many possibilities. But to the expert's mind, there are few. And so when you can approach your studies, or even your life, with a lack of preconceptions, openness, even eagerness, that's when creativity flourishes. Consider for a moment that scene from Disney's Little Mermaid. Ariel marvels at the hoard of human treasures she's collected. As she sings of her longing to join the world above, she picks up a fork and begins to comb her hair. <laughs> Such things will always seem foolish to those who are captive by the curse of knowledge. But it's also a deeply creative act. To fulfill your own creative potential, you'll have to empty your cup and confront the emptiness within. It's the only way to reach back into the boundless creative potential of Eden. And there's more. When you don't take your experiences for granted, it's the opposite of mindlessly moving through your days on autopilot. It's the seed of becoming truly awake. At the beginning and end of the journey, the initiate sees with new eyes and begins anew. Where do we go from here? You are the hero of your own quest, if you're willing to take the risk. To recreate a new world, one that sustains you and all of us, everyone will have to become a little bit of a magician. We'll have to challenge our outdated reality bubbles, and we'll need our courage, curiosity, and creativity to learn how to shape new realities. Fortunately, that's exactly what the Magic and Mastery podcast is all about, giving you ideas for your consideration, useful tips and tricks for your adventure, and companionship on the journey. And now let's turn to our experiment. Each episode, I'll talk a little bit about an exercise that you can try on your own. Magic is about action after all, not just talking about taking action. This week, you can try on the beginner's mind for yourself. Take a moment and think about the things you do every day without giving much thought to them. Maybe it's taking a shower or doing the dishes or brushing your teeth. Yeah, you get the idea. And in that moment, instead of letting your inner autopilot take over the task, slow down and observe what you are doing. Try to remain completely in the present, focusing on the sensations of the experience. The slower you go, the more you'll notice 
the intricacies of little movements, how they feel on the outside of you, and how they feel within your body. If you can tap into a little thrill of newness and experience a sensation you haven't noticed before, then you are experiencing the beginner's mind. And it's the best place to begin and end our journey. Now, if you want to talk about your own heroic journey, share the results from this week's experiment, or ask me a question, you can find me in my own magical community, the Magic and Mastery Coven. You can find out more information about it at magicandmastery.com coven. And as I mentioned earlier, if you want to know more about this week's episode, check out the show note at magicandmastery.com podcast. They include episode timestamps as well as links to the authors and the books that I mentioned during the show. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Magic and Mastery with me, your host, Donna Woodwell. Oh, and one more thing. I love getting feedback because it helps me to know what makes you jazz so I can provide more of the good stuff. It would mean so much to me if you take a moment to rate and review this podcast. And if you like it, why not share it with a friend? Don't forget to join us next week when we explore what it means to live like a magician. Thanks again, and I'll see you then.